this section in the Psalms. And we'll have one more week in the Psalms this summer. And as we're ending summer and we go into the fall and we'll begin uh, a new study as we are going to be in the New Testament walking through the book of Ephesians. So that'll be a good study, a challenging study as we walk through that, encouraging things as even I think of uh, Ephesians, how there's an encouragement to unity within the church and and a grounding in the gospel and how it impacts our lives and our families and our church. And um, so it'll be a, a to, to walk through together. So so be getting ready for Ephesians coming in a couple weeks. But so today, though, we're in Psalm 24. And this is a psalm that I love. It's a psalm that a lot of songs has, have come from. Even today, we, we sang a new song that came from this psalm, of, speaking of the king of glory. Um, and I don't... If you uh, were around my age and you listened to Third Day when you were in high school um, and college, there's this song that they did uh, about the King of Glory, and that came to my mind of of the psalm. And really, maybe in your Bible, you see uh, maybe the editor of that Bible, they put spaces in between, and we see about three spaces, verses 1 and 2, and then 3 through 6, and then 7 through 10. Uh, And that's kind of how we're going to look at that today. But we begin with this this backdrop of everything belonging to the king of glory. Let me just read those couple verses. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the sea and established it upon the rivers. I'm going to read verse 1 again. This is from the Christian Standard Bible. It says, the earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. So this is a verse saying that all the earth, all that it contains is the Lord's. The world and all of its inhabitants are his. They belong to the Lord. And not just, he's not just the God of Israel, but he's the God of all nations, of all people. For us as well. So all belong to the Lord God. All of humanity is his. I think of Jesus Christ before he ascended into heaven in Acts 1, 8. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We have this king of glory and the message of the gospel goes to all people of all places because they all are his. And all aspects of creation belong to the Lord. All of it. God's fingerprint is on all of creation. We talked about that as we studied in Psalm 19, if you remember that, that all of creation declares the glory of God. From the innumerable galaxies throughout the universe to the, an embryo, as we, if you remember that video of that, that chicken egg, to the smallness, and it's just seen that God's fingerprint is in the small to the, to the huge. And he owns it all. But how can God claim such ownership of all things? The psalmist tells us, for he has founded it upon the sea and established it upon the rivers. He is the one that's laid its foundation. He is the one who established the earth and all of creation. And here, this isn't a a scientific explanation of creation, but he's speaking in poetry of this foundation. But he is the creator of the earth. Founding it. He spoke it into presence. He established the earth. He is 
Lord. And now, too, as we think, as we look in the Old Testament, it's always good to, to look to to the New Testament, to see is what the New Testament speaks about these things. And I was thinking of several verses that speak about creation and who is creator. Give John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, that says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. In these verses, who is the Word? Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, 15 through 17. He is, the, speaking of Jesus again, Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or, or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And then Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through him also he created the world. So again, we're reminded, who is the Lord who created, who is the creator king, who is the king of glory? Uh, well, Jesus, he is the king of glory, the suffering king and the good shepherd king that we've been speaking about, the king of glory. So then, as we move into the second section of this psalm, here we hear the people preparing. They're preparing their hearts. There's this preparation going on to enter into the presence of the King of Glory. And this speaks to how they enter into the presence of a holy God. So we'll begin and read some of that. Verses, verse 4 through 6. He who has clean hands... And a pure heart. Or let me start in verse 3. I'm sorry. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? And it begins, he who has clean hands. So here, the question is, who should approach? Who can approach the holiness of God in his holy place? Again, a description as they were ascending to the temple, to the place of worship, to the place that... The Lord set apart for his presence to be known amongst his people and for them to worship and offer sacrifice to him. And the question, who should ascend to the temple? Who should ascend and stand? Who should remain there? Who should go to worship the holy creator God in his holy place? And the weight of the holiness of God and entering his, his presence is felt here as we see this call to worship. And in that time, the Levites, they would stand as gatekeepers at the temple. And they would be there to answer the question, who would ascend? Who could ascend? Commentator and uh, Old Testament professor Alan Ross said this. He said, many of the Levites were assigned to, the gate as, to be gatekeepers. Their task was to make sure the people who came into the sanctuary met the requirements of holiness and had the proper sacrifices. So, so here we have this going on. And our Lord is holy and worthy of worship. We don't, have the, the, we don't get the privilege of telling God how we will approach him. Or how we will worship him. Or how we are to understand him. Because he is creator of all things. He is the one that gets to, to speak in and, and tell us. He is the creator. And he is the one 
who calls us to be those who come to him with holy hands. And we are those who are in need of forgiveness, that we might even enter in to his presence. The Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon from of old said this, there should be some preparation of the heart in coming to worship of the worship of God. Consider who he is in whose name we gather. And surely we cannot rush together without thought. Consider whom we profess to worship. And we shall not hurry into his presence as men run to fire. This is called, we, we don't go casually. We're called to even examine our hearts as we go to him in worship. So who should ascend? Who can stand in the holy place? And the answer is given. The requirements are given. You must have clean hands. So this clean hands is speaking about our actions, our deeds, the things that we do. And there's a call to, do, be, to be able to do them or to do them and to be those who do them without sin that are free from guilt and sin according to all of the, the commands of the Lord, all that he has written. So there's a call of having right actions. And then he continues, those who have, have pure hearts. So we're called to be those who have, have pure hearts as we enter into the presence of God. And our, the heart speaks of our thoughts, uh, speaks of our intentions, speaks of our attitudes and our motives. We're to be those who are bl- blameless in our motives and our intentions. We should be those who are free from selfishness, free from pride, from self-seeking. We need to be pure of th- thought, void of lust and selfishness, anger, self-centeredness. So as we continue on, uh, the list gets harder as we go, and it continues to stack up. It says, as well, as we continue, that we are be those who, who do not lift up their soul to what is false. Not lifting up our soul to what is false, to false gods, to false idols of the heart. And even this idea of lifting up, what does it mean? Well, we see a parallel in Psalm 25 that says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Oh my God, in you I trust. So there's the, in, in that two, those two verses, the parallel between lifting up and trusting. So who do we trust in? Who do we place our soul in? Who do we trust our soul to? Do we place it to other things other than the one true God? So a call to examine what do we worship? What do we center our life on? And be reminded that all other things that we might seek for for hope and worship and center our lives on, that all those things will fall short. They do not fulfill. It's a bit like last week we had the question as we looked at the Good Shepherd, the question is, is who is your shepherd? And here the question might be, on what do you center your life? What do you worship? What ultimately dictates what you do and don't do? How do you you even walk through the plans from day to day? What ultimately are you seeking for joy and fulfillment? It's a call out to ask, what are the idols of our heart? One definition of idols that I've shared before is by Pastor Brad Bigney. He's a pastor in in Kentucky. And he says, an idol... An idol is anything or anyone 
that begins to capture our hearts and minds and affections more than God. Again, an idol is anything or anyone that begins to capture our hearts, our minds, and affections more than God. And all idols, all things that we entrust our life to other than the one true God, they're, they're false, it says. They're false, really. And that word false literally means to be vanity or empty. They're empty. Um, just like we talked about last week, the false shepherds, if we, we allow something other than Jesus Christ to shepherd our heart and guide us, um, they will lead us to ruin and all other idols and things which, in which we trust our heart um, will leave us empty. And then we see a third thing. And does not swear deceitfully. Does not swear deceitfully. It's not dishonest. Not false swearing of oaths. Not, this is speaking of uh, all of our deeds, not just of deeds, but our, our words here. Not just our thoughts, but our words here. Our words are to be those that are true, are honest, are right. Our words that are spoken, not just the words that we speak, but the words that maybe we text or the words that we email, the words that we, we post. Uh, they're to be full of honesty and truth. And I think, too, we, we need to grow even in our discernment. Sometimes we'll... Um, be quick to maybe forward an email or post something without seeking to know if it's it's true or not. We need to be a people who are always discerning and be really skeptical <laughs> at times. I feel like there's just so much um, things that, that are spread around that we find out, well, that's actually not true at all. Um, but we need to be a people of truth. So that's why we need to be of discernment of what we say, uh, of what we repeat, of what we pass on. And then if we skip down quick to verse six, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. So we are to be a people who seek after the Lord, seek after his presence, seek after his face, face fervently, expectantly. Pastor Tim Timothy Keller in his book, The Songs of Jesus, he says this of this psalm. He says, we must wrestle in prayer to seek God's face, as, as did Jacob. He said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. We need to be as that seeking after the face of God and his presence. So here we, we're given this high standard, this fourfold standard, where in it it could really be crushing as we think about this, there's this call to, to holiness, to live a life without sin, without self-righteousness, and without hypocrisy, and without idols of the heart, and without false motives, and without being self-seeking, uh, completely righteous. And the question is, well, who measures up to this standard of clean hands, and, and a clean heart, and faithfully seeking the Lord? Well, well no one. Knowing we all are those who fall short. And yet sometimes we do seek to be righteous. We seek to, to be those who, who, who follow after a standard of even trying to be enough in ourselves at times. Sometimes we seek all sorts of different ways to, to seek righteousness or a lot of times self-righteousness. And even if we are those who are people who, who reject Jesus Christ, you'll still see that in their life there's ways that they are seeking to be enough, uh, 
seeking a way to be enough so that guilt is pushed down. Uh, But no effort in our own self can ever bring about righteousness in our life. And there's so many ways that even in our, we feel like in our own wisdom or maybe in our own actions, we can be enough, we can be pure enough, we can be righteous enough. And if we look close enough around the world, we see ways that ha- happens all the time. Or if we're honest, we, if we look at our own heart, we see ways that we do that apart from, from Christ often. Uh, I was thinking about this. I was listening to a book that kind of reminded me of some of these truths. And sometimes we are those who, who are those who will say things like this. Um, we might say, uh, I'm, I really, I think eating healthy is great as long as you don't eat healthier than I do, and then you're probably a little bit of a health nut. Or it's great, working out is awesome. It's awesome, as long as you don't work out more than I do, because then, you know, you're probably obsessed. Or or it's great to save money, but if, if you save probably more money than I'm saving, most likely you're trusting in your savings. Or It's great, it's okay to watch Netflix, but if you watch more than I do, well, then you're addicted. And we can kind of do this, and we set um, the the good people and the bad people, and you know where we always are sitting? We we place ourselves in that good people bucket more often than not, and we look for ways to to make ourselves more righteous than another. And honestly, COVID's added a whole other way for us to find ways to be enough and to be more righteous than the next guy, no matter which place... uh, which side we stand on things, or even if we stand in the middle, we have all these new opportunities by whatever your, your stance might be on, on, on masks or on vaccines or whatever. We, we often say, well, I'm in this group and look at that group, or I'm in this group and I look at that group. I, I'm in the middle. Look at me. I'm so much better. And there's all these new ways to, to find self-righteousness through this season. And we can do it in ways where we try to even and things like things even like with our kids, uh, with if we have, uh, I'm a little more righteous because I have more kids than you do, or I'm a little more righteous because I don't have as many kids as you do, or I'm a little more righteous because I send my kids to public school, or I'm a little more righteous because I don't, or you know whatever it goes on and on and on these ways that we can strive for righteousness apart from Christ, but we're reminded that there is there, no one is without sin. No one is without sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all are sheep who have gone astray. And then the question is then, what hope is there? And our hope is found in the one who fully, who fully fulfilled the law of God. The one who had pure hands and has pure hands and a pure heart. Who had no deceit or lies upon his lips. Holy, the King of Glory, Jesus. And you think of it in context of these Psalms that we've been walking through. Psalm 22 was all about a prophecy of Jesus Christ on the cross, the one without sin who poured himself out, who was pierced for us. And as Isaiah 53 teaches us as well, pierced for our transgressions. That he died for us and that through him we can be forgiven and we can stop striving on our own to be enough and to be righteous on our own. I think of 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 22 through 25 that says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten 
but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed for you were, you were strained like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Our hope is found in the king of glory in Jesus Christ. And then verse 5 says, He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. So those of us who find clean hands and a pure heart through Christ Jesus, there is great blessing and great salvation in him. And if you remember last week as we walked through Psalm 23 at the end of the psalm, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And you are reminded that that word follow can be translated to, to seek after or to pursue, to chase down. So the Lord chases us down with his goodness and his love and his mercy through Jesus Christ. And then finally, verses 7 through 10, the king of glory enters in. The king of glory arrives. So worship breaks forth in the presence of the king here. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, the king of glory, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Selah. So here we have, again, that picture of the people of Israel returning triumphantly to the temple and the Ark of the Covenant coming in, representing the presence of God. And we have this song of praise to the king of glory entering in and there being worship that breaks forth in the midst of this time. We know from rabbinical tradition that Psalm 24 was a psalm that was used on the first day of the week, which would have been on a Sunday, um, used for worship at the temple. And it's been pointed out before that, that this would have been the day, Sunday, we think of Jesus Christ. The last week of his life on Sunday was the day when he entered into Jerusalem. A day when he entered in, he was one who rode in on the donkey and around him were those who were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna to the highest. And then we could imagine that possibly even at that same time in worship at the temple, the priests were singing and reciting Psalm 24. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift up, O you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory. Selah. So we're reminded of this. This is the glory of the king entering in. And in this psalm, we have that back and forth. And we practiced it today as we had the question with the answer and back and forth, as these would go back and forth, it would just accentuate the glory of, the God, of God and the, the one who is king of glory. 
And we're reminded this morning, just that question of who is that king of glory? And as the royal psalms are often, even in the New Testament, through the New Testament writers, let us know that they point us to Jesus. We're reminded that they point us to Jesus. Dr. Danny Aiken, who was one of, a professor at seminary and now is a, uh, a um, president of one of the seminaries, said this. The answer, as far as who is the king of glory, the answer is made plain by the revelation in scripture of the holy war fought on Calvary's hill. There, our warrior king, the Lord's anointed son, engaged the forces of evil and destroyed death by death. And I would also say, and destroyed sin and Satan. Having finished the enemy off on the field of battle, he took a brief repose in the, thorn, uh, the, in the throne room of a tomb before bursting forth in glorious resurrection. So we're reminded this morning of our King of glory, Jesus Christ, the one through whom our guilt is removed, our sins are forgiven, because he also is that suffering servant who died on the cross for us, but then rose again victorious, and is our kind shepherd king who guides and directs, directs us. So this morning, a question might be to you, will you open your life? And let this king of glory come in. And maybe it's been something upon your heart as you've heard of the messages of Jesus Christ and his, his call to turn from your sins and trust in him. Maybe this morning would be a morning that you would trust in the king of glory and allow the king of glory to come into your life. And may we be those who we continue to seek Jesus. Uh, we seek Jesus and be those who continue to evaluate, are there idols of my heart that I'm going after, um, that I'm seeking to rest in, to, to be enough, that I'm seeking uh, to rest in, to maybe um, measure myself up against others, but instead may I rest in the King of glory and what he has done for me and be those who extend grace upon grace to those around us as we've experienced grace upon grace in Jesus Christ. And would you allow... Uh, this King of glory, Jesus, to be your good shepherd, your glorious King, and your Savior who suffered and died for you. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we come before you this morning. We're thankful for your word that continually pours forth truth and just the rock that you are, the fortress that you are, the King that you are, and we Thank you as we walk through uncertain times and we need to be reminded of these things. Lord, I do pray that you would convict our hearts as well. Lord, may we be cautious when self-righteousness wells up in our heart where we begin to point fingers and to assign blame to others. May we be cautious when we look to other things in our life to to make ourselves maybe feel a little more righteous than another. And may we be convicted of that and be reminded that we are all those who, who come with, with hands that are stained with sin.